I know you're blessed by the, the worship team tonight. And uh, we're, we're lucky that we get to hear them every Wednesday night lead us in worship. And what I appreciate about our, worship, our student worship team is that sometimes on Wednesday nights at 6 o'clock after school, teenagers have brain mush. And, and you look out in the crowd, and it's like, I mean, they're all, cro- I mean, some of them are, you know, brain mush, not because of school, that's just the way they are. But uh, uh, a lot, you know, at six o'clock after school, all of them are pretty tired, and they're pretty worn out, but, but those that lead us in worship have the attitude, I'm fixing to worship, and you can come along with me if you want to, but I'm going to worship, and that's leadership. That's saying, I I don't care what you do, I know what I'm about to do. And that's mature leadership in our our student praise team. And I'm thankful for, I'm incredibly thankful for them. Um, And I'm glad you were were blessed to get to hear them tonight. Um, Over the next couple Sundays, um, I have an interesting sermon series. Brother Don asked us to, to preach a couple times, and, and my first thought was super nervousness um, because it's, it's different speaking to adults than, than students, some, um, and, and you have to, you can't say some things to adults that you can say to some students, you know, but uh, you'll get in trouble if you say, to, say it to adults. But, but anyways, I've been, I've been begging God to tell me what he would have me say to the church family that means so much to me and that I love so dearly and uh, he, he gave me some things that he's been drilling into my heart and, and as I speak to you over the next couple Sunday nights I want you to know that this is something that God's doing in me uh, and I'm just sharing it with you I've titled the series Embracing the Absurd Living Life in the Upside Up Kingdom The title is absurd. Tonight I want to define for you what it means, what what absurd means. It means utterly or obviously senseless or illogical, contrary to all reason or common sense, laughably foolish, a preposterous proposal. My point in naming this series, Embracing the Absurd, is sometimes our God will tell us to do things that even in our own life and especially to a lost world looks incredibly absurd. It's weird. He'll call us to love people that normally we ought not love. He'll call us to do things that normally we wouldn't do. And then the subtitle is Living Life in an Upside-Up Kingdom. My whole life, I've heard the kingdom of God described as the upside-down kingdom. And I understand what people are saying when they say that. But at some point, the people of God have to say that what God says and what God does is right. And if we disagree with Him, we're the ones that are backward. God is not backward. God is on point. And the only way I can be right is if I agree with God. 
So yes, the things he calls us to do can look absurd, absurd to the world and feel absurd to us. But whatever God tells me to do is the right thing for me to do. It's upside up. And if I run from it, I'm upside down. It's an upside up kingdom. The passage that I, I wanted to use to back this up um, was Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, when, when God says, Your ways are not my ways, and your thoughts are not my thoughts, but as high as the heavens are above the, way, uh, above the earth, so are my ways higher than your, your ways. The children of God have got to start calling what God does right. We've got to understand that. We've got to quit saying that what God does is upside down or backward. There's another passage in the New Testament. I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. I think this is a better way to describe what I would like our mindset to be during this series. This is a parable of Jesus, and it's one verse. It's two sentences. This is what he says. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now, Jesus was a brilliant teacher, and he taught in parables. Some of his parables were um, pointed, some of them were detailed, and some of them are real vague, like this one. It's two sentences, and he leaves a lot to the imagination. And I've been thinking on this parable. And sometimes I think we can read across this parable and not put any thought to it, not imagine what Jesus is trying to say in this parable. But I want to I imagine with you tonight. There's a guy, his name is Dalton, and he's walking through a field, you know, I'm really a farmer, I'm not really a preacher, I don't know what God was, this is absurd, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really a farmer, but, but uh, I understand all this, Dalton is, this guy's walking through this field, and he trips over this treasure, and he, he looks at it, and it's in a box, and he opens the box, and it's just gleaming. I mean, he understands that the value of this tra treasure surpasses all value. The value of this treasure can't be measured. This treasure is more important than the world that it's sitting on. Crazy valuable treasure. Well, it says he covers it up. I like that. He don't want nobody else to find the treasure. Uh, this is farmer. This is the way farmers are. I know y'all. I'm, I'm one of y'all. But they cover it up and they don't tell anybody. It's like somebody done struck gold on somebody else's land here. You know, they, they cover it up and they don't tell anybody. Um, but but they go, this guy goes home and he tells his wife, Sweetheart, sell everything we got. Everything but our clothes and our food. Sell it all. And, and can you imagine? She looks at him like he's crazy, like wives do. You know, and, and, and she, 
She looks at him like he's crazy, and, and she doesn't understand, but he says, Sweetheart, let me tell you something. It's just for a little while. It's just for a little while. This guy, he, he goes and he sells his house, and he goes to Walmart, and he buys a Coleman tent, and he takes it down to Village Creek. And he pops it up. I'm liking this guy all the more. I like, I like how he thinks. He sells his house. He gets a Coleman tent, goes to Village Creek, and puts his family in that tent. He sells his house because he's got to save up to buy that field where he saw that treasure. Then, he was a, a, a wealthy man. He has some land that's been passed down through his family. But this guy understands that that treasure he tripped over surpasses the value of bloodlines and heirlooms. So he sells all of his family land. Can you imagine what the people around him are saying? Can you believe that dude? Sold his house and moved his family in a tent? Man, that dude's great-grandpa worked for that land. He just up and sold to buy that junky piece of land down there on the Lane Gill. I know what that means. I've got some ground. I've got 40 acres on the Lane Gill, and the dirt isn't worth much, but my grandparents lived there. My great-grandparents lived there. And the memories and the times I've spent with the Lord down there are very valuable to me. But this guy had to sell everything he had. The Bible says he sold everything he had to buy that one piece of land. People are making fun of him. Some people might be mad at him. Some people are looking down on him. Who in their right mind would ever sell their ground, move their family into a tent? And all the time he's, he's walking around with a smile and a secret, saying it's just for a little while. And then one day... He finally gets to buy that land. Can you imagine him walking up on that treasure when he buys that piece of land and, and he embraces that treasure and it just so happens this treasure can speak back to him. And it says, well done. Well done. And that man says, it, it was just for a little while. It was just for a little while. There's another side to this, and the only way I know how to describe it is telling a story that I've told several times. I know a lot of people are probably getting sick of hearing it, um, and I'm glad Doug's not here because it involves him, and I know he's sick of hearing it. But One night, uh, Doug McDaniel and I went door to door, and, and we were sharing the gospel with some people, and we came up to this one door, and this lady came out with a spatula. And she said, what can, what, what's wrong? And we said, we just wanted to visit with you for a little bit. Do you have time? And she yelled in there at somebody and said, hey, check the eggs. And she stood out on the porch with us. And, and Doug's talking to her. He says, he says y'all know Doug. He's, he's country as a truck patch of polk salad. You know, he, he's, he's just country. And, and he's, he's talking to this woman. And, and he says, uh, we're from Wim Baptist Church. This is my buddy, Dustin. We're talking to some people in the community. Um, and, and he, he talks to her for a little bit, and he finally says, who is Jesus to you? And her response was, I don't know Jesus. We move around a lot. 
And that's fun. I mean, I was like, all right, big boy, you handle that one, you know. But I laughed at him. But that's super sad, too. And, and so Doug said, well, well, here, let me walk through this track with you. And he handed her a track, and they walked through it, and they got to the end to where you asked Jesus to, to save you. And she said, I've already done that. So my point in, in both of those stories is, which is more radical? Which is more absurd? The man that encountered this treasure in Jesus that surpasses all treasure and sold everything to embrace it, or the woman that says she has encountered Jesus and it has not affected her one bit. And when she hears his name, she thinks about the guy that lives down the road. Which is more radical? Which is more absurd? I believe it's more absurd and more radical to not let a treasure like Jesus affect your life at all. than to live like that man that, that gave up everything so he could have the one thing that surpasses all value. The title of tonight's sermon is The Nature of Living Water. If you will, turn with me to John chapter 4. This is a story that's familiar. I want us to read a little bit and stop and discuss it. And then we'll read a little bit more and stop and discuss it. I have four points, and then I'm done. John chapter 4. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John... Although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. My first point tonight is that living water always goes to the low places. Do you believe that Jesus intentionally met this woman at the well, or do you believe that Jesus happened upon this woman at the well? There's no doubt in anybody's mind. From the beginning of time, Jesus had set up this meeting with this woman at this well. 
He did it on purpose. And we know this lady's history, and we're fixing to read this lady's history. But the Bible says that it was the sixth hour, which was about the middle of the day. And she's out there drawing water, and most of you know this, but that means that, that she, she couldn't go with the other ladies of the town to draw water early in the morning when it was cool because everybody had turned, her backs on, turned their backs on this lady. She is the lowest of the low. She represents all things that are bad in society. Nobody likes this lady. She's done some horrible things. No good things. And from the beginning of time, the king of the universe, the creator of all things, had set up a time to meet with her at this well. Huge. Huge deal. Incredible. We would turn our backs on this lady. Nobody liked this lady. Before I say this, I want to brag on, on, on some of our students. Um, I'm in a group message with them, with some of them. It's called The Young and the Necklace. You can guess who's young and who's necklace. I think I just got muscular shoulders, but they say I don't have a neck. Um, I, don't, I don't comment a lot on it. I just kind of sit back and watch. But back before the summer started, a group of these kids got together and, and they wanted to uh, have the summer interns over and cook for them. And I was watching all this go down. And, and um, it morphed into, well, why don't we... Um, invite some younger kids over and and all of them they, they couldn't afford to buy everybody's meal but all of them picked one younger kid to invite over and they bought their own meal and that younger kids meal and we're talking about 11th and 12th graders buying the meal for 7th and 8th graders I don't know if y'all understand that but that's a huge deal I don't even like the, I'm, I'm teasing, I, I love the 7th and 8th graders. <laughs> Huge deal, and I'm proud of them for that. But, if we're honest, there is a separation of classes, even in Wynn, Arkansas. Go to a football game and sit by the student section. Nobody wants to admit it, but you can feel it. There's the in crowd and there's the out crowd. There's the crowd that fits, and there's the crowd that wish they fit. Go to the cafeteria. There, there are in crowds and out crowds. This class and that class. That group and this group. It's just a truth of, of, of who we, of society. But what scares me more than that is, is we don't have to go to football games and we don't have to go to high school cafeterias. How would this lady feel if she walked into our Sunday school class? 
Would she be embraced? Or would we be excited she came into our doors, but by George, we're not letting her into our life. Living water always flows to the low places. It finds the low people. Jesus has actually called his people to associate with the lowly. To go get those who are desperate and hurting and outcast that nobody accepts. And embrace them for his purposes. And until we get it in our Sunday school classes, we cannot expect our society to get it any better. Read with me some more. Jesus answered her in verse 10. If you knew the gift of God, who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said, to you, every, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Then the disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Living water is often misunderstood, but is always courageous. The disciples marveled that Jesus would be speaking to this woman. Most of you probably know that it was wrong for a man to address a woman in public. It was wrong for Jews to be with Samaritans. It was, it, everything that Jesus was doing here was wrong. And the, the disciples come back and they're like, 
Man, what in the world are you thinking? They marveled at him, blew them away. To build relationships with people in the low ground, you better be courageous and you better be ready to be misunderstood. Jesus was both. He was mis misunderstood a lot, but he was extraordinarily courageous. Read with me some more. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town, into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of town and were coming to him. Skip down to, with me to verse 35. Do you not say that there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. So picture this scene. Here's a lady at the well, and when the disciples come back, they marvel that Jesus is talking to her. She, she's had five husbands, she's a Samaritan, she's a woman. Everything's working against her favor in the mind of a Jewish disciple. They don't want this woman in their group. They're marveling at, at why Jesus would even have a notion to talk to this lady. Well, what does she do? She goes into town and she gets some people, and the Bible says they come out of town to see Jesus. Now, this, this is me thinking through this, but if she wasn't allowed to go with the good ladies to the well early in the morning... I'm going to say the people that she brought out of town with her probably were of her same caliber or worse. The people of her that would have been influenced by what she said would have been people in the low ground. It would have been people who had had five, five wives. It would have been people who would have had five husbands. It would have been people who, it might have been a man who had a husband coming out of town with her. Now guys, I want you to know that I believe the Bible preaches morality and teaches morality. I disagree with adultery, I disagree with homosexuality, I disagree with all those things. But I also believe that the only way people who are caught up in those things can change is if they encounter living water. That's the only way. And if you don't believe that, I want to ask you, did you change before you encountered living water? I didn't. I needed Jesus. Living Water believes that the harvest and the church is owned by Jesus Christ. This is not my church. This is not my harvest. It's Jesus's. I don't choose who. I don't choose how. I don't choose where. I just say, where do you want me, Lord? What do you want me to do, Lord? That's my place.
Can you imagine the disciples when, when they are marveling that Jesus is talking to this chick at the well who has all these husbands and is messed up now living with a guy and, and she goes and gets her friends and she's bringing a slew of these people out to where Jesus and the disciples are and that, at that time Jesus happens to say, Look, the harvest is white! Maybe we don't experience harvest because we're looking for the wrong field. We're looking for the folks that look exactly like us, act exactly like us. The folks that don't offend us. The only way the folks that offend us are ever going to change is if they encounter living water. We might as well know that. So yes, I disagree with immorality. But I also believe with my whole heart they have to experience living water. And it's our job to get it to them. Jesus owns the harvest. This is his church. He can do what he wants. Go back with me to verse 31. Meanwhile... The disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Living water is always more concerned than the harvest with the harvest than the details. Can you imagine the disciples? They're, Jesus is, is, is focused on this mission. He loves this lady at the well. He loves these people that are coming. He wants them to experience living water. And they're saying, hey, Jesus, you're going to eat. And he says, don't, don't worry about that right now. Did somebody bring him food? Did you get food? Don't, don't worry about that right now. Here comes the harvest, guys. Look at these people coming out here to get living water. Did, where did, did Jesus get some bread? And he's like, shut up. The harvest. Guys, we can get in a wad over the smallest thing. And we miss the harvest. We miss what God put us on the earth to do because we're in a wad over something that has nothing to do with what Jesus wants us to do. They're caught up in bread in a biscuit. Who brought Jesus a biscuit? Somebody tell us who brought Jesus a biscuit. Shut up about the biscuit. Get over the biscuit. Here comes the harvest. The fields are white for the harvest. I don't know what you may be caught up on. And I'm not an expert on the enemy. But I will tell you this, that I know of him. All he has to do to defeat you is distract you. He doesn't need you to kill somebody. He doesn't need you to become like that woman at the well. He doesn't need you to become like the other thugs that she invited out of town. He doesn't need you to kill somebody. If he can distract you off the mission of God and distract us as a church off the mission of God, he's tickled as a fat pig in the sunshine. 
That's all he cares about from me and you, is that we are not on the mission of God. I don't like him. I don't want to make him happy. I want to take the fight to him. And to do that, I can't be in a wad on, over everything. Sometimes i got to get over some stuff because I don't like the way it is. Are you dry? Some of you may not have ever experienced this living water and it may, may be freaking you out that I'm talking about it. You don't even get it. You don't know what I'm talking about. I want you to know that Jesus can change your life. He's changed my life. And before I met Jesus, I was much more like that woman at the well than I was him. I was all about me and getting what I want. Some of us may be dry because we've got caught on a detail or we, we've, Satan has distracted us. Some of us may be believers. And we've just gotten dry. We've lost our fire. Are you dry? The answer for both is in chapter 7. Whether you are somebody who knows nothing of Jesus or whether you are a follower of Jesus who has become dry... Chapter 7, verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And he's speaking of the Holy Spirit. He wants us to be just like him in this. He wants to take us to the low ground. He wants us to become all about the harvest and get over the details. He wants us to give him ownership of our church and our lives. He wants us to be courageous enough to build relationships with people who will get us mocked and laughed at. If you're thirsty, I want to invite you tonight to come to Jesus. Whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, I want to invite you to come to Jesus. And some people will tell you, and they're lying to you, that when you come to Jesus, everything's going to be hunky-dory. They're lying to you. When you come to Jesus, He will wreck your life. He will mess you up. He will call you to befriend people who will be a burden in your life. He will call you to do things that will weird you out. He will call you to do things that will mess your family up and cause you to lose some friends sometimes. But it's just for a little while. Let me pray for us. God, I'm so thankful that you offer us living water. 
And God, I'm thankful that you've offered me living water. I'm thankful that, that you have allowed me to experience you. And God, I pray for those in this room that are thirsty. Whether it's because they've never met you or because they've fallen away. Father, I pray you would teach us to simply come to you and to thirst no more. God, I pray you would break, break our hearts for those that your heart is broken for. And I pray you'd teach us how to go get them. Father, we love you and we ask you to do whatever you want in this response time. In Jesus' name, amen.